0: I'm gonna be handing the mic over to Mr. Andrew Brent. Andrew has been a part of our group for I believe a few weeks now. And every time he pops in here, he just adds so much value. He's got tons of insight. Obviously, if you look at his bio, he's got the creds. He's done some amazing things in the world of sports and still is continuing to make an impact in the world of sports. And so we're super, super excited and grateful to have him here with us today, Mr. Andrew.
1: The mic is yours, sir. <laughs> Thanks so much, Glenn. As Glenn said, I'm new to the app, and I'm new to Breakfast with Champions, but you guys have been so welcoming when I popped on the past few weeks. Uh, introduced to it by someone I got to know this summer, and it's really an interesting app. It's a way to sort of share things, and I hope I can do that as well. My career and my life has been around sports. and I can always talk about sports and I do, it's kind of my life. I really find it refreshing when I meet people that don't know about sports because then I don't get asked the same old questions. So what I see this group as bigger than sports, more about life and motivation and some of the life lessons that hopefully I can share and learn about sports because my path has been a lot of different ways. It's really been a path of reinvention throughout my career, I was a failed professional athlete i tried to play pro tennis not anything like you see on tv it was pick up your own balls call your own lines try to get points try to be someone that actually makes it to the bigger tournaments i never did that so i went on and my opponents convinced me i better do something else with my life so i went to law school I was college across country to Stanford. I went back home to Washington, D.C., went to law school at Georgetown. But I didn't want to be a traditional lawyer. I really wanted to try to keep my hand in sports if I could, and I found a way. I saw a firm in Washington called ProServe. They're no longer, but they're representing a lot of tennis players. So I walked in, I said, hey, I'm just a kid, but I played tennis. You know me from growing up playing these tournaments, and I played at Stanford, and maybe I can introduce you to some players there. And they took a chance on this kid, just like anyone walking in trying to get an internship did that through law school. After law school, I stayed there and I saw this guy named David Falk down the hall who was representing basketball and football players. And he just signed a guy named Michael Jordan. I'm like, okay, I like this firm, but can I go work for that guy? (laughs) Because tennis is tough. You know, you're recruiting 13 year olds. So basically you're recruiting parents. And, as a parent of a of a high school athlete myself, I know they're no peach I'm recruiting parents of top level players. So I went over to basketball and football, and I worked with David, and I got to work with Michael Jordan. Now, of course, I wasn't Michael Jordan's agent. I worked for him, but got to sit in the Air Jordan meetings with Nike and all these great things, represented a bunch of basketball players, but saw football players who weren't being taken care of because David was so invested in the NBA and Michael. I started representing football players. Now I'm 145 pounds, I'm not a football player, but I love the sport. And it was an opportunity, I saw a path. So I was representing football players and then after six years of that, I'm doing a contract with the Minnesota Vikings. The guy who runs the team was also running a new league, the NFL Europe, they were starting. He looked at me up and down, he said, do you speak barcelonan? I'm like, "Is that Spanish?" He said, "Yeah, it turned out it wasn't." I said, "Yeah, I speak Spanish. He said, "How'd you like to be the first general manager of the Barcelona Dragons?" I said, "What's that?" He said, "We're starting in the league. It's going to be great all over the world. I'm young, I'm single, I'm uh, run a team. Sure, I'll do it." So I said, "All right, now I had no coaches, no players, no staff moving to a country that thought football was soccer. So it was quite a challenge. I interviewed players, interviewed coaches, I hired them on the spot. We've tested 1,000 players, I picked 80, I had to tell 40 they couldn't come to Spain. We instant football team, we go there. Our ticket guy says we've sold 173 tickets. I'm like, great, how many does the stadium hold? He said 40,000. I said, that's not good. I got a meeting with the general manager of Football Club Barcelona they're gonna have 100,000 people the night before our game. I said, can we just kick the ball, throw the ball at halftime, and have the announcer say tomorrow night, Montjuic Stadium, Barcelona Dragons. He was hesitant, he said, but I pushed it, and we got out there. <laughs> and we, they'd never seen American football, but next, the next night, 18,000 people walked in there. And oh my God, then I realized what we were up against second we didn't score in the first half second half we hit the tight end on a seam pattern broke three tackles touchdown i'm jumping up and down oh my god this is great the whole crowd's polite golf applause <laughs> and then our kicker comes and kicks the extra point and they go nuts they went nuts i'm like oh wow this is different they cheered at all the wrong times they did the wave the entire game long they did the ole song the entire game long <laughs> it was it was not a job, it was an adventure. I had to put night tables with pillows at the end of each bed, or their feet wouldn't flop over. They'd never seen people this size. Our uniforms were ruined after the laundry every time. I had to pay customs, bribe them to get our equipment. This was such an experience that taught me a lot. Now, the NFL Europe folded, at least in Barcelona, because we could never get traction. I came back, I was an agent again, and this time I got a player that was going to be the watershed client of my career. I got this guy at a University of Texas in Austin, Ricky Williams. He was the hottest thing in football, college or pro. He had the first guy with dreadlocks. He was such such an incredible force, wins the Heisman Trophy. And I'm a young agent still, and I'm like, I got the guy. Well, after a couple of months, I didn't have the guy. I saw people hanging around him. He sa- I said, Rick, what's up? He said, these guys are with Master P. I'm like, who's Master P? He said, he's a rapper. But he's getting into sports. I'm going to be his guy. I said, what about me? He said, well, I want you to work for Master P. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'm telling my family, okay, I'm going to work for this guy, Master P, because I got to stay with Ricky same time this Green Bay Packers are calling me now I've never been to Green Bay and the I had some clients over the years I had one at the time third string quarterback named Matt Hasselback I said what do you need I can't talk about Hasselback I said we're not talking about Hasselback our coach just went to the Seattle Seahawks Mike Holmgren. and he took the guy that ran our operations with him I said okay they said well how'd you like to switch sides I said come to Green Bay they said yeah so i fly up there and i'm like please don't take offense at this question but do i have to actually move here to do this job and they said yeah no offense but you got to be here so i sort of took stock again reinvention and i said okay i'm going to do it i'm going to move to central wisconsin and i did it and for 10 years i'm running the green bay packers and I was kind of the, the fulcrum point, which every organization needs between the aggressive side and the cautious side. the, the business side is very long-term. What's our outlook in five, 10 years? That was half my job. The other side was the football side. Andrew, can we get this guy signed today? Can we get him on the field for the game? Can you get his contract done now? So sometimes there was the voice of caution to the football side, like, hey, chill. We spent enough on quarterback and running back this year, we'll spend more next year. Sometimes there's the voice of aggression to the business side, like we gotta make this happen now. I'm gonna spend another million dollars. I need this player. And we have that push and pull between the future and the present, and that coalesced when we picked a guy named Aaron Rodgers to be our our first round draft pick when we had the most durable quarterback in the history of the sport at the time, in his prime, named Brett Favre. It was a clear decision between present and future our coaches were livid, Brett was livid, that we would do that. But at some point you have to trust your people. And our people had said after seven months of scouting, that was the best player available for us. Of course, he wouldn't have an impact anytime soon. But we trusted ourselves and I told our staff, I said, if we don't take Aaron Rodgers, I know it's gonna upset everyone. But if we don't, we will deflate all these people in the room because they put in seven months of work to tell us this is the best player. So we took them. And we had a draft party below us, a thousand people. And when we made that pick, the boos, oh my God, it shook our souls, but we trusted it. We had to trust it. Everyone hated it. Brett would call me every week. You know what it's like to come into work every day and sit with your replacement? That sucks. I'm like, yeah, I get it. And Aaron would, his people would be, is he ever going to play? Is he ever going to play? Because all athletes, what are they, they want to they play. So this went on. Long story short, I was in Green Bay 10 years. It was enough. You know, I'm a person that likes challenges, likes new things. I had done every deal. I had managed every player. I want to do something different. So I left a seven-figure high-prestige job. I'm like, I'm out. I've done it. Now the lack of diversity in central Wisconsin got to me as well. And the main thing was, I wanted a life for my kids. I wanted a different life. I wasn't around them much. I couldn't walk out of the house and not be asked about the Packers. I didn't want that. But I saw two areas that maybe I could make an impact, media and academia. I started writing. I was hired by ESPN to sort of take people behind the scenes in sports. I was hired by Sports Illustrated. I've been doing a column there for eight years. I started a podcast a few years ago, the business of sports. I started a newsletter last year, Sunday seven, which is going great. You sign up at andrew-brandt.com. And then I feel like I can do this. And then on the academic side, I started teaching at the University of Pennsylvania, Wharton, sports business, sports law negotiations. And then Villanova had an endowment from an alum who owned the San Diego Padres for Sports Business Law Center. He asked me to run it. I said, no, you don't want me, go get an academic. Go get someone who's gonna be there all the time because I'm doing all these other things. And then they went away and came back and said, we don't want an academic. We want someone with practical experience to lead these kids. I worked it out with them. I've been at Villanova for six years doing that. It's a great position but what i look at chapter three of my career chapter one an agent chapter two team chapter three is really giving back the way i can i'm not going to cure disease but what i can do is bring knowledge and insight and experience and practical tips on getting in the business i've been doing these webinars that have been popular everyone wants to get in sports it's romantic it's exciting it's emotional it's raw it's our emotions and everyone thinks They could have been a pro athlete, but for a coach that didn't like them or a knee injury, right, it's great. There's nothing like sports. It attaches to us, it's part of us. But I wanna share what's really going on in there and ways to get in and ways to make yourself different and show people how you can do something different. I get kids all the time, like how do I get in? Well, I say start with making yourself special. You have an interest in working for a team. Okay, what do you wanna do? and why do you want to do it, and write about it, and blog about it, and podcast about it. You want to be an agent. I tell kids they want to be an agent. I'm saying, all right, let's role play. You're an agent, I'm a player. Tell me why I should sign with you. What do you got? And if they don't have an answer, go make an answer. Go figure out why you're better than all these other people. A woman I hired in Green Bay to manage our cap room to sort of do all the data. She didn't know football from basketball. What she knew was data. She knew how to take all this data about every team in the league, what the player makes, all the collated information coming from the league, what teams do every day, and transfer it into organizable, digestible, important information for me. She came from a trucking background, supply chain logistics, Schneider trucking. She was perfect. So when kids say, well, I love sports, great, that's not gonna get you very far. Find your why. And I think these are all reasons why sports attaches to us so much. Look at media, the only live media, the only appointment viewing is sports. The contracts for all these sports leagues are going north all the time while people are watching less TV. It's amazing. So what I try to share is behind the curtain and I try to do it in a way that's comfortable for me as I enter this, I, I've been now 10 years in this new chapter of my life. And I'm also about life experiences and doing things with my two boys. I'm now in Utah, I'm gonna try to summit Mount Everest in Utah so I'm on this challenge where I have to go up this mountain starting Friday morning, ending Saturday night, I have 36 hours to go up a mountain 13 times to equal the equivalent of Mount Everest. So that's kind of me. (laughs) And I wanted to allow time for questions because I'm new here and I want to meet a lot of you as, as much as I can. So I hope you appreciated my intro and I'm happy to answer questions.
2: Loved it. Wow!
3: Hey, Dr. Rowe, I see you flashing. Great job, Andrew. I see people are unmiking and you guys can just jump out. But Dr. Rowe, I saw you flashing first. You want to go for it? Thank you, Andrew, for your segment. How in the world can you be a cheese head when the Vikings are the best?
1: <laughs> I knew that was coming.
3: <laughs> I had to ask, you know I'm in Minnesota. so <laughs> um, What is your, seriously, what was your greatest accomplishment in the role that you played in both teams, with both teams?
1: I think with the Barcelona Dragons, it was getting us on the field. It was not your typical general manager role, right? So general managers usually pick players, they deal with contracts, they deal with managing the roster. I was trying to keep these guys sane. You know, these are 21 to 25 year olds, 45 of them. Contracts were all predetermined. I didn't have to negotiate anything coaches handled the football side i had to make sure that these guys were were sane they'd never been out of the country now i'm taking them out of the country for four months they didn't understand that the language they didn't understand television they didn't understand the they didn't like the food and i had some real psychological issues and my role there was really just keep it together, you know, keep it together. We have guys going crazy. We have, (laughs) it was just crazy. I I was selling American football to an audience that didn't understand it and didn't want to understand it. I had to bring over Americans. I, I told our staff, let's forget football. We're selling three hours in America, right? So we're selling, I brought over two Miami Dolphin cheerleaders, I teach them The girls of Barcelona had a dance like that. Las Chicas del Dragons. (laughs) I brought over thousands of pounds of hot dogs and hamburgers. I blasted rap music. I brought over marching bands, frisbee dogs. We made it a party because we weren't gonna sell touchdowns. We weren't gonna sell. I had a fan committee that kept saying, Andrew, stop with the meetings. I'm like, what's the meetings? You run a play, then you meet. You run a play and you meet. Uh, Yeah, that's a huddle. (laughs) Like, no, we don't want it. So this was what I dealt with over there. With the Packers, it was trying to keep the magnitude of what I was dealing with in check, right? So Packer nation is vast. I run into it all the time. I'm here in Utah. I'm seeing people with Packer jerseys. So I understood the magnitude of what I'm dealing with because we had no owner. I had a tremendous autonomy. If I could do a $10 million contract or a $50 million contract, there was no one saying, Hey, that's great or, or that's bad, but I felt that Packers are a public trust, and I was acting in the interest of our shareholders. And you always have to act in the best interest of the long term, right? So I was not going to mortgage the future because we had Brett Favre, because we were a championship level team, because I knew at the end of the day, we'd have a team without Brett Favre we'd have a young guy named Aaron Rodgers who'd be running the team and he needed a good team around him. So I was always kind of fighting the temptation to sort of do the quick fix, you know, sign this guy, make us better right now. But I was always about the future uh, because I think the legacy in sports is what you leave behind. And I wanted to make the Packers better for the present and the future.
3: I have a question. It's Nisha. Hi, Andrew. It's your best friend, Nisha. Um, don't ever forget that we're besties, okay? And you know, Dr. Rowe, it's <laughs> unfortunate that you would choose violence this morning um, and talk about <laughs> and talk about the Vikings. It's just, I mean, you know, I love you, Dr. Rowe, but this, that was very volatile what you just said about those Vikings. And you know that we are Patrimation here. I don't know why you Purple would do that. And um, Purple and gold. Purple and gold. Oh, gosh, Dr. Rowe, meet me on the playground at 3 o'clock, okay? Uh, we're we're going we're to duke it out. <laughs> um, Andrew, my question is, you know, um, obviously, you know, I worked with Terrell Owens and wrote his Hall of Fame speech, and while working with him, one of the things that I uh, learned is that there's such a stigma around athletes, particularly football players, right? And so... You just talked about some of the things that they go through, especially early on. But can you share some of the things that you learned from from them, and some of the things that that go against the stigma of um, athletes, particularly uh, football players? We know that they've been in in the news a lot lately with all the things with, you know, Kaepernick and and just there's a divisiveness. Um, uh, I think in the league. Um, that has had to be kind of fought um, or or just kind of navigated through, if you will. So what did you learn from them? Because I find them to be fascinating. Terrell obviously has a a lot of misconceptions about him and he's one of my favorite people in the world. So uh, can you speak to that? This is Nisha Dunn speaking.
1: Thanks, Nisha, and welcome to Packer Nation as always. Um, I just think that I've had the privilege of being around these athletes. I think people don't really understand, they they do, but they really don't, how many levels you have to get through to be a professional athlete. Like, it is harder to be a professional NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA player than it is to be a brain surgeon. In terms of numbers, you know, there are, I don't know. Two hundred thousand people playing high school football. There's fifty thousand people playing college football. Maybe a hundred of those, maybe a hundred, make it to the NFL for any length of time. So the 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 steps that people have to go through. So what I always try to do with athletes is sit down and kind of learn their story. And so many have overcome so much. The backgrounds that they come from. Oh my God when I was recruiting athletes and that's the biggest part of being an agent is recruiting, I went into neighborhoods. I'm like, Oh my God, like how is he, how has he become so successful coming out of this? Like (laughs) walking over people to get to their house, stepping in urine puddles to get to their house. I mean, this was amazing to me to see what people have overcome. So the one thing I learned about athletes is they all have backgrounds that are so different. And what I tried to do is really make our locker room as copacetic as I could because these locker rooms in any sport and people know this in sports, they're not Kumbaya. You know, they're people of different races, different cultures, different ethnicities. They believe different things. The Kaepernick thing brought on some division within these locker rooms. COVID is bringing on division within these locker rooms. And it was something where I felt the need to say, okay, we can't do this. You know, I brought up players for interventions. I brought up players and coaches for interventions. I'm like, we're here, you know, you're not going anywhere. So make this work because some People don't realize that you know, there are strong personalities for people to get where they've gotten in sports. There are strong personalities. And when I had to cut players, tell them that their dream is deferred, that's when you learn about people. That's when you learn about people. Because sometimes I had to have security, right? I was telling a guy that worked his whole life to get to the NFL. It's not happening. And I needed security a couple times. They wouldn't come across the desk. But other times I would feel worse than the guy I was telling. I remember a couple situations, players no one ever heard of that would look at me and say, hey, 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 Andrew, it's okay. I get it. And I'd be crying. (laughs) And because I just think you get an impression with someone, you spend time with them. And then in my role with the Packers and Barcelona, I had to tell them it's over, it's over. We had to tell Brett Favre it's over. You know, I'll never forget, June 20th, 2008, Aaron Rodgers, we had handed the keys to Aaron, it's over. We told Brett those three words after being the face of the franchise for 18 years, those three words were, we've moved on. And the look in his eyes, that's hard. And I think the, the, the message to this group is always like, things are gonna end and it's hard. But you got to move on. Onwards, the only way.
3: Thank you, Andrew.
2: Andrew, that's Thanks. amazing. Thanks. Um, this is Kimon Schwab's here, and I have a question. Um, you are an incredible storyteller, so thank you for that. Because I believe the greatest lessons come in story. Did thank you, you? Were you always an incredible storyteller, or is this something you have learned, studied, perfected? Where has that,
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, reading kids, reading my my kids' stories maybe. I just think um, I've had a natural ability to talk publicly. Um, it's just something I like to do. I always found the best communicators are the best storytellers. And I've tried to watch and learn as much as I can from them. And I've always learned that the best way to communicate information is with stories. Um, it's just the way that people resonate with things. Like, yeah. Um, I remember I took a public speaking class at Stanford and one of the first assignments was you come to class, no homework, and they say, talk, You know, give a speech on whatever it was, impromptu. And I don't even remember what it was, but I, I did it. And the class was blown away. Like, okay. I said, okay, I have a talent. I can do this. So I don't know exactly where it came from, but I enjoy it.
2: I'll tap in another question um, and then give folks Actually, a chance to think. Um, what You had so many opportunities come your way over just the bits that you shared, and I'm sure there were so many more than what you told us about. How do you determine when those opportunities come into your path? What's the process you go to and the yes or no decisions of whether or not this is the one to say yes to?
1: Yeah, different points in life. Obviously, when I decided to pick up and leave representing players and move across the ocean to Barcelona, Spain, I had to look around and I, I my, my really, my, what was the only thing pulling me was the players because I had no family, no wife and kids. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to leave behind some athletes, that I, but I made sure they had new representation. I'm young, I'm single. I'm like, run a football team, an NFL team, albeit minor league team in a new country. I'm like, I'm good, I'm out. Um, You know, when you get an opportunity to move to Green Bay, Wisconsin, it's geographically, not where I wanted to go, but the agent business was telling me, it's not this. I mean, Ricky was gonna leave me at some point because everyone's gonna pull guys like that, players like that always change agents because everyone's promising something different. I always thought about moving to management, but it was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. Uh, I thought I would do it at a later age, but I did. In the years, two years after I left the Packers, I got three different teams calling. And I'm, I really had some temptation because of obviously going to another NFL team, making a lot of money, being secure, high prestige. But I'm like, no, no, I've been there, done that. I still, to this day, been there, done that. There's nothing left there, um, so I think the the thing is and, and even at this point in my career what's what's good, what do I enjoy? You know it's like if the one to ten scale if you th- if you're offered something or you think about something and it's like a five or six or even seven, I've learned that yeah, not really, but if it's a hell yes, yeah, do it, do it. And the money part, yeah, I mean, I've found that doing things for money never turns out to be the right thing. Uh, Like what what lights you? So that's how I look at things now. And of course, you know, I I manage my time. I have a lot of gigs, but I always have time for my sons and my fitness and things that are important to me. Amazing.
2: uh, We actually have um, David's, I really want to be respectful of time. First, I'm Mike and thank Andrew for an amazing first segment. That was incredible.
1: Thank you so much. Wonderful.
2: Amazing. And we have the good fortune that we will get to hear from Andrew each week at this time. We're so excited to welcome him to Wolf Wednesday. Andrew, I do want to ask you I think you recorded a, a masterclass or a webinar last night. If you want to share with people how they can see that.
1: Yes, sir. I did the webinar. I did it twice because the first time I didn't press record. But um, I will, uh, that's on my socials. I don't know if it goes through in this bio here, but on my Twitter, Instagram, ways to get that, uh, as well as, of course, my Sunday 7 newsletter, which you can sign up at andrew-brandt.com. And I'll soon be offering some even bigger, you know, more premium content with private stuff there as well. But yeah, uh, you can follow me on all those channels and uh, I'll get the webinar out to people too, if they want to sign up for that. And I'll be doing more of those as well.
2: Amazing, thank you. We're so grateful you're here. And I'm so happy to you. reset the room and pass to Mr. David Cezak, um, I mean, Hannah always says that he's the, the best person on the app or her favorite person on the app. So I'm going to do my best to do this intro justice, David. You are in Breakfast with Champions. It is Wealth and Health Wednesday. We now have 15 hours of programming from 5 a.m. Eastern to 8 p.m. Eastern every weekday, 6 to noon on Saturday, Club 111 on Sunday. We have so many exciting things that are going on. We're about to launch the 67-day challenge leading up to the Grow your business for God's sake conference in Kentucky. If you want to come learn with us in person, uh, that's November fifth, sixth, and seventh. And you can learn more at GrowForGod.com. But as I said, I have the joy of introducing David Spiesack one of my favorite speakers on and off this platform. He always drops so much knowledge around marketing, business, anything you could want to know. So.